Hello, kings and queens. This is your host, Dr. B, coming to you live from the Honeycomb Hideout on the ones and twos with the Queen Bee. And we're speaking truth to power. And we have a very serious conversation that we're going to have today with members of the law enforcement community as they tell us what does it mean to protect and serve for them. Give us your time. Give us your energy. Give us your heart. And more importantly, give us your love. This is Dr. B and the Queen. We're signing off right now. We'll see you later on. Take care and be blessed. More importantly, have peace. Hello, kings and queens. This is your host, Dr. B, coming to you live from the Honeycomb Hideout on the ones and twos with the Queen Bee. And we're speaking truth to power. And we have a very serious conversation that we're going to have today with members of the law enforcement community as they tell us what does it mean to protect and serve for them. Give us your time. Give us your energy. Give us your heart. And more importantly, give us your love. This is Dr. B and the Queen. We're signing off right now. We'll see you later on. Take care and be blessed. More importantly, have peace. Early bird gets the worm, Dr. Welcome, Brother George. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Early bird gets the worm. <laughs> Early bird gets the worm. Dr. Threadcraft, can you hear me? Are you there?
Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. Brother Boss. What's going on, my brother? What's happening? You one of the few about? guys that on early. You can find on your meeting five minutes early. Early bird get the worm. You know the routine. C-Dot. Uh, you know, you know, you know the routine. What's up, C-Dot? <laughs> What's happening? Now, how come I don't see y'all talking? We got like still photos. <laughs> I'm still in the, I'm still in the pajamas. <laughs> okay, good. Then you have a still photo. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I'm sure it's a sexy sight, but I'm not that kind of boy. <laughs> no, no, no. How you doing, Miss Lily? I am well, thank you. Great, great, great. Hey Kelly, how you doing, Miss Singleton? Miss Singleton Lewis, Miss Singleton Lewis. We're going to get started in exactly two minutes, guys. Man. You call it, bro. Whenever you say we going, we going. Oh. What's up, Kel? Hey. hey. How y'all doing? Doing all right. moving picture and I don't. I don't want to see Shaft. He in his drawers. But how come <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just asking a question. I ain't trying to cause no trouble. Just asking the question. If I'd have known that, I wouldn't have put on, I, I'd have stayed, I've been in the yard all day. I'd have just kept on what I had on. I put on me a nice polo and took a quick shower. I cleaned up, sprayed exactly. on some cologne just in case somebody got smell of vision. You know that's new. I know. <laughs> I bought it at Walmart. smell of vision that is, not the clone. I mean, I like it, but not y'all clone. I, I I grew out of brute like uh, 35 years ago. <laughs> and Old Spice. What was that other one? Uh, Holston? With the cowboy on it? Was that it? Well, I ain't heard that in a long time. I saw that. Right. How come I have a steel photo? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get started. Welcome to uh, Saturday Showcase with Dr. B, bringing peace to the community with the McCrary Foundation. We are here today to talk about what does it mean to protect and serve? And I invited you all on the uh, on the airways because you all at some point in some capacity have protected and served and still are protected and serving right now. Uh, we have on the panel today, I'm gonna start from 
of course, we have to do ladies first. The queens have to go first. We got Mrs. Kelly Singleton Lewis on here. Welcome aboard, Mrs. Kelly Singleton Lewis. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. And uh, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Real briefly, Kelly, can you tell us what role you serve in the law enforcement community? Sure. Um, my current role is a senior United States probation officer. I've been in this role for about 10 years now. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wonderful, wonderful, Kelly. Wonderful. Next, we'll go down to the main man, uh, Mr. Charles Dawson. Can you tell us about yourself, Brother Charles Dawson? I certainly will. You know, it's my favorite subject. <laughs> uh, <laughs> currently, right now, the uh, Baton Rouge City Police Department uh, Major Assaults Division Violent Crimes Unit. I'm here today as a representative of Magnolia State Peace Officers Association, which is an association of African-American police officers that was founded in uh, 1954. I'm the uh, president of the Capital Chapter and the vice president of the national organ organization. I am also a retired United States Marine, uh, first sergeant of 27 years, three combat tours, and uh, I've been in law enforcement now for ooh, 21 years. That's awesome, Brother Dawson. That's awesome, Brother Dawson. Thank you so much, my brother. Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, Omicron Beta Sigma Chapter. Oh, all right, all right, all right. We'll leave that out. We'll leave that out right now. Let's leave that out right now. Let's keep it, let's keep it professional here. Okay, let's go down to my main man. The, the other Charles here, Charles Carlos John Jr. Tell us about yourself, Brother Carlos. Hey, everyone doing? Um, I served uh, five and a half years uh, at the college level as a college police officer, uh, five and a half years on the state civil service uh, before leaving and now currently in healthcare. Uh, so that's uh, my level. And then also I'm a proud member of Five Beta Sigma Incorporated though. Coincidentally, Omicron. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, we have next, we have on this uh, panel, Mr. George Joseph Jr. George Joseph Jr. has served in many capacities in law enforcement and risk management. He's got to talk a little about himself and his role and what he does now. Good afternoon, everyone. So I worked uh, for about seven years for the Department of Public Safety, uh, which encompasses Office of State Police and uh, Office of Motor Vehicles in uh, the capacity of risk director. So I've seen a lot of things that came across the uh, department dealt, that dealt with uh, liability and uh, dealing with the general public and also the incumbents to take care of the actual agency itself. Right now, I'm a regional uh, regional manager for a retail entity, uh, have a background in asset protection and loss prevention. Uh, so I have a, a, a plethora of, of experience uh, from, from law enforcement, run the game from law enforcement all the way to uh, governmental affairs. So thank you for having me this afternoon. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. We have, also we have on the phone, I think she just joined us, uh, uh, and I, I know she's uh, she works for the Department of Corrections in Mississippi, Mary Ann Ross, Dr. Mary Ann Ross, she's on, on board here. She, she's with us every week, so many of us are familiar with Dr. Ross. She works, uh, uh, Dr. Ross, can you tell us what programs you work with for the Department of Corrections in Mississippi? Is that for me, Dr. Bosworth? That's you, Dr. Ross. 
Okay. Sorry about that. Just okay. logged on. Um, I oversee uh, all treatment programs for the Mississippi Department of Corrections. That includes the Inmate Legal Assistance Program, Pre-release re-entry, religious services, uh, administrative remedy program, veterans program, uh, substance abuse, uh, mental health, and uh, I'm forgetting one. But uh, in a nutshell, I'm, I'm the person <laughs> who's responsible for the, the treatment of about uh, 20,000 offenders uh, who are incarcerated and 33,000 uh, probation parolees. That's awesome, awesome. We have two criminologists on the line here. Uh, we have Dr. Melody Threadcraft. Uh, she's a criminologist. She works uh, in academia. Uh, we have Yakista Mason Bosworth, who is a criminologist as well too, who works uh, in the field of substance abuse and, and criminology as well too. So without further ado, we're gonna go ahead and get this program started. Thank you all for joining. We may have some other people joining us as well. But we're going to go ahead and kick this party off. What does it mean to protect and serve? Um, I'm going to start that question off. I'm just going to pick a a, a random person to start this off. With. I'm going to start with uh with uh with Officer Dotson. What does it mean to protect and serve? And not only that, uh, Officer Dotson, uh, Detective Dotson, excuse me. You also served, as you just mentioned to us, a a, a, a long-standing United States military as a first sergeant, so you protected, you've been protecting and serving your whole life. So what does it mean to you to protect and serve? I came to this job to me to help the public. Uh, first and foremost, everybody that's a civil servant, to be an appropriate civil servant is not just a job for you. You have to have a desire to make people's lives better. For me, is to make people's lives safer. Totally, I'm I'm a total advocate for the for the victims, and that's what I do. Because sometimes these people are put in tough situations. So to me, to protect and to serve as a civil servant, a United States Marine and also a Baton Rouge City Police Officer, is to protect the public, to serve the public and to do what's best for the victims. And, and for me, that's why I came here. I, you know, I, I didn't come here because I needed a job or wanted everything. I came here because I had a true desire to help people. And, and that's always been my motto to, uh, uh, to serve. And once you look at it that way, or you keep it in that frame of mindset, that I'm here totally as a, as a public servant. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, uh, uh, Sister Lewis, uh, tell us about your role, how long you've been. I know you've been working for the uh, 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 probation uh, division, probation probation uh, services for years, but uh, that same question to you, what 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 made you, what, what does it mean to you to protect and serve? Um, I'll say this. Uh, the meaning to protect and serve has has evolved for me over the past 10 years. Um, but originally, my what I wanted to do was to assist in the fair administration of justice on the federal level. So that was what I had in mind when I took my oath 
um, to help to administrate justice fairly um, in a system that disproportionately impacts African-American males. So that is what I had in mind personally when I became a United States probation officer. So I've worked um, on the pretrial level. I've also worked on the pre-sentence level. I think most of my career has been on the pre-sentence level. And I'm currently working on the post-conviction side of the federal system. So I run a re-entry program Okay. Um, I work with a lot of sex offenders. Um, and so I've seen all sides of the federal system, but originally what I wanted to do was assist in the fair administration of justice and to help reduce some of the disproportionate numbers of African-American males who uh, come through th this system. So that is what I had in mind when I began my career 10 years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, 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 George Joseph, do you have anything to add to that, sir? Yeah, I, I want. I want to speak from just just from seeing the administrative side of of policing. So, um, police officers and officers in the field do have genuine. Some some of our officers do have legitimate concerns about wanting to protect and serve. But then there's handicap in the sense, and that they don't make the policies and procedures that govern uh, that protect and serve side of uh, criminology. And what I mean by that is uh, community policing. That's one principal tenet, tenet, tenet of uh, policing. So I'll give you an experiment, a, a example of an experiment. Here in Baton Rouge, we had an area called Mall City. So Mall City, they, uh, the police department uh, it instituted community policing in that area and crime went down significantly. But if, you, if you're directing your officers as the commissioner or the mayor of the city to go to affluent le uh, areas of the city and you're never in areas of need, then you're going to have high crime rates. So protect and serve is a, a, a legitimate concern, but it's hard to do when you're handicapped by the administrators, the ones that make the policies and the procedures that you, you're governed by. Awesome. That, yeah, that, that is true. Uh, let's circle back to that. Let's circle back. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not in that uh, arena. Uh, um, and I, we, we can't speak to specifics. Do you have anything to add to that with your experience as uh, at, at BRCC, uh, Officer John? Repeat that last question, I'm sorry. Do you have anything to add to what Brother Joseph said about the uh, administration of justice when uh, it comes from uh, uh, your superiors and things like that? How does that affect you trying to do what you have to do to make sure that policing standards and practices are fair for all people that are affected? Well, basically to piggyback off of that, uh, it is true when you're boots on the ground uh, and you're working your way up, uh, you have directives and you're, you know, when you kind of stray too far, not because you're, you know, uh, infringing upon a rule, but because, you know, you're trying to give extra care or, or even and people forget that customer service is part of your job uh, even though you're you know law enforcement uh sometimes you might get you know pulled to the side and say hey you know uh for example uh people know me knew me as officer carlos of course you know my last name is jean and whatnot uh and so i got pulled aside i was like hey you know 
you might not want to be so you know form you know informal like hey you know let them know you officer jump you know and then some you know because some people just come to me and say hey you know hey mr carlos and they pull me to the side and give me some information because you know they didn't want to he said i'm not trying to be a snitch but i want you to know uh, mr carlos carlos uh they might have a little you know fight somewhere but go ahead and take care of that and because I had such a, a easy relationship with some of the students, uh, even the faculty, people felt very comfortable knowing that, hey, I could share information and, you know, I, I don't have to worry about any blowback or anything like that. Uh, but if I just, you know, came out, hey, I'm Officer Jean, you know, you see something, say something. Okay, I understand that part, but sometimes, you know, you, you have to let these people know that, hey, even though I have the uniform on, I'm a person, I just care. You know, I just want to, if anything's out the way, you know, you know, tell me if you feel comfortable. So that's kind of like a, a somewhat of an example, uh, so to speak. Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I, I just want to go back earlier to uh, to what uh, what what uh, Brother Joseph said. And as a layperson here who is an academician, but who's not in the field of public service as you guys are or were. Uh, uh, that's very important to talk about the administration of, of, of justice. And I think uh, Kelly hit on that too as well. Uh, we understand, that's why we're here. We, we understand that uh, practices and policies that were that have happened to the African community have not always been fair. We've not always been treated with a certain courtesy and respect as first class citizens of this country. Uh, wh what does that mean? Can you expand upon that? Uh, either George or Kelly talk about how important it is to have that administration of justice uh, uh, equally implemented throughout uh, America, not only just in the white community, but in the black community. And how has this affected what we're trying to do and why we're here right now? Well, I'll speak on um, an issue that should be um, known uh, across the board, no matter what level of uh, law enforcement you're on. Um, one of the biggest things that impacted uh, the African-American community, um, especially on the federal level, but on the state level too, um, was the impact of laws that governed um, crack cocaine versus um, powder cocaine. So what happened is African-American males mostly were disproportionately sentenced to very harsh extremely harsh uh, long-term sentences, including life sentences for nonviolent crimes such as selling crack. Um, they have tried to correct that issue and have sentencing reform acts that have passed to try and um, correct a wrong, but that is not helping those African-American males who have served 10, 20, 30, 40, upwards to life in prison behind uh, policies and laws that, in my opinion, were designed to do exactly what they did. So the fair administration of justice is to make sure that laws are equitable across the board. Um, cocaine and crack cocaine are, are the same drug, except cocaine is used by mostly uh, high class or middle class um, Caucasian professionals. Crack cocaine was used by or is used by mostly African Americans. Um, so 
that is what I mean when I say the fair administration of justice. Uh, we have laws that aren't, they just aren't fair. So my goal and one of my main uh, missions is to make sure that laws uh, on the federal level are administrated fairly and that the judges that I work with do just that. Um, you would be surprised at the number of federal judges and all of the federal judges are appointed by the president and they just don't know the law. So a part of my job is interpreting the federal sentencing guidelines and make sure that they understand that there are other options out there for sentencing besides throwing the book at somebody and putting them in jail, leading to a huge problem that we have right now, mass incarceration. Um, the judges don't know their options. So a part of my job is letting them know that there are other options that the law allows them to do besides these lengthy sentences that have been imposed that have disproportionately impacted African-American males. Absolutely. Wow. That's a, that's a good yeah. point. That's a good, very good point. And, and the data set shows that on the back end, so if you have a disparity on the front end with, uh, with males being incarcerated, the first thing the data set's gonna say is, oh, we have high recidivism rates. We have high recidivism rates because we have a higher rate of incarceration because of the disparity in the sentencing guideline. Wow, that's, that's it. Expand upon that a little bit, George. Give me an example, if you don't mind. Well, if you have an if you have an offender that's that's been has multiple accounts of uh, being incarcerated versus a, a white male with the same has committed the same exact crime, and both of them go to go to go to jail, they're they're uh, incarcerated. The one that, that has the more likelihood to reoffend is the one that's going to be uh, subjugated to um, sentencing guidelines that are unfair. Both of them could come out to jail at the same time, and then offend and then offend exactly the same way. And then the one that the, the the black male will have a higher rate of going back to jail than the white one would because of how it's sentenced and, and how the initial charges it actually levied on the person. Right, and, and, and historically, that's uh, that's uh, yeah, that's that's what it's. Hey, happened. Doc, Doc, this is Captain Bowie. I finally got in. Okay, Captain Bowie, I'm gonna go ahead and mute you right now. Thank you, Captain Bowie. We got you good. Okay, that's Captain Darrell Bowie, uh, Bernard Darrell Bowie. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. He works with us at uh, at my institution. He's uh, he's going to add a little bit to the show a little bit later on. So thank you, Captain Bowie. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, historically, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is right. It is diversely affected people of color in large numbers, and it's still affecting us to this day. And it has it has affected us generationally. And uh, until we reform these practices and change these policies, it will continue to affect us. Um, Dr. Ross, I, I, I'm, I'm glad she's on here because she's a high-ranking official uh, in the Department of Corrections in Mississippi. Uh, I, uh, how does this affect you as being one of the highest-ranking uh, minority, uh, a double minority, being a woman and a black woman at that in Mississippi? How does this affect you when you see these uh, things disproportionately affect uh, people of color such as yourself, what does that, how does that make your job that much more difficult and that much harder to, to administer, uh, Dr. Rawls? Well, honestly, truly, it, it doesn't make it more difficult. It gives me a purpose and a plan. So one of the things that um, 
I'm responsible um, for in, in my position is designing programs. And so my focus has been on reentry because uh, I've started out, um, I, I forgot the young man who said it earlier, but I start, started out as a, a victim's advocate um, with the DA. And from there went on to design reentry programs for the California Department of Corrections Rehabilitation. As far as, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, I, I think I'm probably one of the only people who still, you know, go to the facilities and actually spend time and, and talk with the offenders when I have the opportunity to do so. I try to meet their needs, meet them where they are, and, you know, it's, it's difficult in the sense that I hate to see another brother or sister that's behind bars because I know that 98% of them are there because they took the plea deal. But at the same time, I can't, help them if I feel sorry for them. The only thing that I can do is to push administration to design things that's gonna work for them, that's gonna get them out early, that's gonna make sure that when they're out in the community that they don't come back. So it it, it, it doesn't make it hard, it just, it, it gives me that, that extra oomph that I need to get up every morning and do my job and do it correctly. Right. Right, and uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it makes us all uh, reflect, and that's what it's all about, and that's why we're having this conversation today, because it's about reflection. Um, thank you guys for that wonderful uh, start to this, uh, uh, this great panel. Uh, the next question, I'm gonna start out with uh, Captain uh, uh, Bernard Bowie, Bernard Noel Bowie, and I'm gonna ask the question, you all can chime in, but this is for Captain Bowie. As a person of color, as minority, uh, law enforcement officials, how do you feel like you? For example, the, the George Floyd murder. What, what, how did that make you feel, Captain Bowie? Uh, outraged. Outraged because I'm sitting there watching. I, I'm an officer myself, but, I, but I'm a good officer. And I'm sitting there watching this man with his knee in this, in this man's neck, whether it be black man, white man, whatever man, and this man's neck, he's handcuffed, he's turned over on his stomach, there's nothing he can do, he's urinating on himself, and he's crying out for his mother. Now, as, a, as, a, as a man myself and, and an accomplished uh, world champion powerlifter, uh, a man that size, 6'4", six, 6'6", six, six, that could take care of his own self, but he's crying out to, to his mother, or even if he is crying out to his mother and father, he's at his last... He's, he's crying out to the last person he knows earthly that can help him. And then he, then he dies for a senseless death. So now it, it makes me very outraged. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure most of the panel felt that same way. I've had numerous conversations with uh, several members of this, this panel one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And I'm gonna go back up to, uh, I'm gonna go to uh, 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 Brother Joseph, then I'm gonna start with Dr., uh, Brother Dawson next. But uh, 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 Mr. Joseph uh, explained to me, he broke it down to me, he talked about a continuum of force uh, uh, and, and uh, how to escalate and de-escalate things. Uh, George, can you enlighten us and talk to, uh, well, just share with, uh, I know most of the people on this panel know what you're talking about, but people who will be listening to this through our McCrary Foundation, they may not know. Can you enlighten us and talk to us about how force is generated throughout those things that what you, what you explained to me the other day, George? So in, in, in mostly all the videos that I've seen that has anything to do with uh, the killing of African-Americans, 
um, there seems or there is no use of the, the force continuum. And what the force continuum is, there's levels of force. And I'll give you an example. The first is there's six levels. It may have changed by now, guys. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the officer's presence presence is one. Verbal commands is follows by just the officer's presence. No one's complying. If the verbal commands don't work, then you use uh, empty hand submission, which is pressure points. If that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, you use hard control, which is maybe your, your uh, it soft it causes soft tissue injury, not murder, not ki killing someone, soft tissue. And then you have intermediate weapons, taser or, or, or baton, and then deadly force. But in, in Mr. Floyd's case, it looks like we went from one all the way to six. One to six. And then after the fact, there's this uh, contemplating on whether or not this was a murder, or whether or not this was uh, anything other than a separate. Uh, Sorry about that, y'all. It's okay anything other than self-protection they were question, questioning whether he was murdered but you the officer violated the policy set forth by the organization so that's prima facie evidence right there that he's in violation and it should they should have immediately been charged okay that continual force uh officer uh detective dawson can you add anything from your experience yes. uh not anything specifically but from your experience uh how yes. does that relate to what uh, brother joseph just said uh, Brother Boz, let's um, let's get two things straight. Number one, violation of a policy is not necessarily a violation of law. You have anybody in law enforcement? We got one we call the blue book. There are tons of policies in there you can violate, but they're not necessarily a violation of the law. Now, everything that went forward with Mr. Floyd and up until the point where they had him handcuffed and on the ground, there was no need to then restrain him the way they did by putting his, uh, sitting on him and putting his knee down back on his neck. There was no way. You had four police officers out there, plenty enough to restrain one anybody, okay? So that never should have came about. But he sat on him for uh, eight minutes or whatever the time frame like they did. There's no call for it. Now, far as a violation of the law, the law is replete with a word, and that word is intent. And what you're gonna have problem is proven is that the intent to do bodily harm. Now, I mean, that goes all the way down from first degree murder, to second degree murder, to manslaughter, to the batteries. It covers into the negligent homicides, or, you know, in certain states, they call it third or fourth degree uh, uh, homicide but it goes into that fact that what was the intent? And America's outraged and America want them charged with murder because they look at it as murder, but everything in murder is intent. And that's gonna be your, your big thing. As far as the policy, um, I hadn't seen a policy and procedures manual for the, uh, uh, for, the, for, the uh, for the city of Minneapolis, uh, but you're not going to find policy and procedures. You're not going to find any type of defensive tactics or SSGT or whatever they use that's going to say you take a handcuffed person and once you have them under control, and that is the key word, he was under control. Now, I have been on this job for 
21 years and I've had to fight people on this job. And when you fighting people, you got to do what you got to do to survive. But once you get that person under control, that's when everything, everything changes. When they're under control. And uh, Mr. Floyd was definitely under control. And that's where you're going to have your issues with proving the intent. Was the intent there? Uh, His actions caused that, which is uh, is gross negligence. I don't think anybody's going to, would ever argue that. But there's a difference between that and an actual homicide charge. Okay. Wow. That's, uh, That's deep. And let me let me clarify let me clarify a little a point of what I made earlier. So I said that he violated the policy of the force of continu- the use of force continuum. But as an officer of the law, and and, and uh, uh, Detective Dodge is exactly right. He was under control, but by him still having his neck on his knee, he he known or should have known that that would have caused death. Yeah, but, that, but that's negligence, George. That's not that's not you 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 we 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 looking at words. Myself, as a police officer, when I deal with people, I look at your actions or your intentions. But once you get to court and start dealing with lawyers and start dealing with things beyond policing, everything is, they look at things in a different spectrum and they look at what was a person's intention. That's why you have certain laws here in Louisiana, you have auto theft and UUMB. UUMB is authorized use of a motor vehicle. All I got to prove is you took my vehicle and you are right. Auto theft is you had the intent to deprive me of my property. I.e. you took my car and you took it to a chop shop to sell it. Okay? The total difference is in intent. And that's what negligence is. If you look at negligence, negligence is you should have known that your actions were to a degree that they would have caused this reaction or caused the, was the precipitant of this cause. And that's where you get from intent, where you can go from murder, first degree, second degree murder, manslaughter, to negligent homicide, negligent injuries, various things uh, of that nature. That's like you you get in an argument with somebody and you punch them one time. But that one punch, you kill that person. Now, did you commit murder? Did you have the intent to kill that person when you punched them one time? Your answer would be no. You got in a fight or got in an argument, you punched a person and you killed them. Oof, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm go back. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we, we get into the semantics of it, and, and which, which is good. We and, 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 and that's where it's gonna be, you know, dealt with in court through the finite details. And, and like we always learn, the devil's in the details, and we got to, and we got to, uh, uh, we got to hash those things out. But I'm, I'm going back as a person who's not an officer, who hasn't served, who hasn't protected and served. Uh, when I saw that uh, video, I, I, I shared the same rage, that uh, same feeling that Captain Bowie had. Uh, it, it outraged me. It, uh, it, it angered me. Because, and it should have. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're constantly seeing, we're constantly seeing black men and black women being uh, marginalized by a system that's designed to protect and serve. And I don't want to get into the finite details of, of various other things that uh, go along with uh, with that. But uh, for the last, uh, over the last seven to eight years, specifically, excuse me, specifically, there's been over, uh, I think, uh, 
uh, three to four hundred that, that I know of, that I'm thinking of, of, of police-related shootings of, of people of color, um, and, um, and and God forbid how many deaths. And uh, and when you see that thing, it sort of gets old to you, and it sort of gets tired. But uh, I was talking to Officer Jean, uh, and he was telling me a story about how he reacted. I guess it's different with every officer, as it was different with uh, Derek Chauvin, as it was with uh, with you. As it is with uh, with uh, with with Captain Boy, I've worked with this man. I've seen him de-escalate situations where I've never seen him get physical with a person. He can get physical, but I've seen Captain Boy, as Carlos uh, Jean told me, he talks to people, he talks them down, but he's not afraid to get physical. Am I right, Captain Boy? That's absolutely correct. I, I've seen him talk to students uh, who were irate, who made what were high on drugs, who were whatever else they were doing. And he could have taken them there, uh, but he used what uh, Mr. Joseph said, the continual force, talk them down, calm the situation down, and it was over with. I've heard Mr. Carlos John tell me stories about how he has worked with people uh, uh, when he was a police officer and did certain things and how it didn't escalate. He had to get in certain situations, but that was a last resort. Am I right, Carlos? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I was, uh, as I told you before, uh, in my five and a half years, I've only had to put my hands on one individual. And uh, I have no problem saying, hey, I'm five, five and a half, five, six on a good day, a buck 75. I look a little bit bigger, uh, you know, with my <laughs> uniform and whatnot on. I had the short, slick hair with the part. So I already knew they were like, oh, this pretty boy up in uniform, you think he's something. So I already know how you already perceive me. So at the same time, I'm talking to people six five, you know, two twenty five, you know, in, in the prime of their life, and I'm gonna have to put handcuffs on them and take them to Paris. Um, they're not happy with the situation. Nobody would be happy with that situation, but it was the reality. And I just let them know, like, hey, we can do this the easy way. Look, this is what I'm gonna do. I would like really tell them. Hey, I'm about to put these handcuffs on you. You're a little bit bigger than me. Watch your head when I put you in the unit. When we get there, when we get to booking, hey, I'm asking some questions, get some information, and I'm gonna make sure you get a phone call so at least you can get your people there waiting for you when you get to Paris, and then hopefully you can get another phone call next I'll work with you, just work with me. So this is how we're gonna do it. And at the same time, without no like threatening or bucking or anything, I also let them know in a certain, in the way I, my tone, Hey, feel like you need to take it a different way. We can, but I'm not going to back down. This is what I have to do. And I did that all in the very most professional manner ever. Five and a half years, I only had to put my hands on one individual. And that's because I knew how to talk to people, not at people. That was my training and that was my personal philosophy. So what you say, what you say, uh, uh, what you say, Mrs. Lewis, that Communication is very important aspect of what you do on your job. Uh, uh, we've heard from Captain Bowie, we've heard from Officer Jean and and uh, and and and, and uh, Brother Joseph. But as, as your as your role as a federal probation officer, would you say communication is one of the key aspects to policing and administration of justice as you can do it on your level? Absolutely. Um, for, for those who don't know me personally, my, my background, both of my degrees are in social work. So um, I think social work and law enforcement go hand in hand. So communication is absolutely, absolutely. important. Um, I 
I don't, we don't partner or anything like that in my district. All of my persons under supervision that I supervise, I go into their homes alone. I deal with them one-on-one. I am a fully commissioned law enforcement officer and I know how to use my Glock very well, but I've never had a situation where I have even uh, thought that I had to use um, lethal force on anyone or even pull it on anybody. Um, And I think all of that goes back to my social work skills. So I meet people where they are. Um, I deal with anywhere from white collar crime to sex offenders to drug dealers, murderers. Um, And I've never ever had a situation where I felt like something might, might happen today. And I think communication is, is why. And, and 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 just Kelly to piggyback on that you not only deal with black people you deal with Hispanics you deal with Asian people you deal with uh, white people you deal with all types of people it's just not one race of people am I correct that, that's absolutely correct um I deal with I I mean my caseload is extremely diverse um the people who I work with are diverse um, I deal with everybody from the judge to the U.S. Marshals, the U.S. attorneys, uh, the treatment providers, um, to the uh, persons under supervision, their families. Um, so communication is, uh, effective communication is, is absolutely essential to be able to do my job and do it safely. Wow, and, and I've heard communication from uh, all of you guys who are officers and who have and have stressed the importance of communication. So as a as a person who, as an academician, I have to do follow-up questions to this to probe a little bit more. I, I, want, I want you guys to, to, why is it so, why do other officers who don't look like you, and, and this is not, this is not the main, but it happens to be the main in so many different cases recently that we've seen. Where is that communication uh, that we need from our white officers, from our other black officers, from other people who talk to people so we can stop this killing, stop the killings of, of, of people in custody? Uh, where is that communication? Can anybody can anybody uh, shed some light on that before we move on? Well, Dr. Dr. Bosworth, what I, what I surmise is one of the key issues is uh, that educated hire, making sure that the officer has a background or is a degreed person that can rationalize and understand the laws that they're reading and be able to adjust the, the conversation to the audience that they're speaking to. And then again, you have what's called nepotistic hire. My grandfather was a police officer. Now I'm gonna be a police officer, but your grandfather wasn't qualified in either of you. But then you're on the but you're on the police force making making life and, and life's life decisions for people when you can't even rationalize. I mean, it's a sad day when a police officer stops me and I ask him what probable cause did he have to stop me? And then he looks at me, gets back in his car and pulls off. That's sad because we do have that going going on in, in police departments. Now we do have very enlightened professionals, educated professionals, like our panelists, but we do have an issue with making the, the hire the first time to qualify an individual. I would say, Dr. Boz, a lot of it goes to training. A lot of it goes to training. A lot of it goes to the individual, 
a lot of it goes to what the individual brings to the table as uh, as a law enforcement officer. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm be honest with you. If you come into law enforcement to get rich, you're in the wrong place. It's uh, lower paid, <laughs> sometime thankless job, because when you have to do your job and do it correctly, somebody is not going to be happy. Right. Your right. victim's going to be happy most of the time, but even sometimes your victim's going to get mad at you, especially in your domestic violence situation. So it's a job to where once you come into it, it's got to be a calling for you. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, it's got to be a calling. When it's a calling for you, and and I can use myself as an example, I get a thrill going to work every day because it's a calling for me. I get an absolute thrill when I go to work because I enjoy what I do and it's different and diverse as from the business work. I thoroughly enjoy it because I came to the job to actually help people and I had other life experiences when I came there. I'm not an advocate of hiring a 21 year old to be a police officer. You have no life experiences. You know, what have you done in this life? You may go to a situation and and, uh, you have a couple that are arguing and their argument has been going on longer than you've been alive. How can you come to that? But that's where training comes along. And when a good when an officer has a good trainer, because see, is everything else in your foundation? Usually you come from a training academy with a good foundation. And then when you get to your training officers, that's gonna solidify your foundation. If you have poor training officers, you're allowed to have poor results on the back end. But it, but a, a lot of it's a lot of it's the 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 individual, because being here, 21 years, I've seen great officers on every spectrum. I've seen bad officers. I've seen officers that got fired because they deserve. It. You know, I've seen officers that get in the situation because sometime, during the course of doing your job, something bad may occur. That's just how the job. While you're trying to do everything right, something wrong may occur by no fault of your own because every situation is actually unique upon itself. And that's where the individuals come in. That's where the training comes in. That's where the department comes in. And most importantly, that's where accountability for your actions come in. I'm going to get to that later on. Uh, You... you, Great mind, think alike, brother Dawson. I appreciate that you leading up to that, but you're going too too fast right now. Hold on a second. We got to slow it down a little bit. We uh we getting into the middle of this, and that's great, man. And we're gonna talk about accountability because that's one of my next questions I, I have to ask. But I'm gonna I'm gonna push that back a little bit because we're we're into something right now, and I want to stay into it right now while we while we get to it. Uh, and that was those are great answers. Um. Um, and what what what's going on in the national spotlight is, and I'm quite sure you guys have seen it on TV, uh, seen it on CNN and, and Fox or MSNBC. Uh, they're talking about what Brother Dawson is talking about the training 
and for years, uh, uh, what happened to uh, George Floyd uh, uh, through uh, at uh, at the hands of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, uh, uh, he has uh, for years uh, uh, the Minneapolis Police Department has has had several complaints, have had several um, for years. This this dates back at least. 20 some odd years. Uh, it's been going through some problematic things there. Maybe it has something to do with the training. I don't know. Maybe it was individual. I, I don't know. I can't I can't speak to all that. I don't know, but I do believe that how you're trained, uh, I, I think people do what they know. Sometimes then they do what they want to do. Uh, that's just my opinion. Um, I, uh, I think training is key. I believe uh, understanding is key. But uh, one of the key things that that uh, that that enough is not said about, I think you guys have done that on this panel, and when we put this out on the McCurry Foundation's website, that others who listen to this will understand one of the key components, the key tenets, as uh, Brother Joseph said, is communication. Uh, just like we're communicating right now, I believe communication is the key. Uh, that doesn't mean, as, as Carlos John said, you're not a pushover, but you have to talk to people. You have to be able to work things out because everything is not always black and white. There are some gray areas, and we do understand that. Um, you guys have been great. I, I want to keep going with this. Uh, this question was, um, I've talked to one of my other panelists who, who's not on the show, uh, I think today because he's working. Uh, uh, he told me that, uh, he said, Greg, I've been working uh, uh, eight, seven, eight days straight, 24 hours a day, I hadn't seen my family. And saw my little baby, hadn't saw my wife, and so he hadn't done any of this stuff. And uh, and the question was, how has the protest, how has the protest nationwide Is it more stressful? If so, why? Uh, uh, Mr. Dyson, you're you're on the front lines there in Baton Rouge, and you can take that question if you don't mind briefly. And and what what are you guys doing in Baton Rouge to uh, uh, make sure that people are safe? and things of that nature. How has this impacted your job? Well, Baton Rouge Police Department, and I'm not a representative of Baton Rouge Police sure, Department. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, but they went to 12-hour uh, schedules. Uh, we suspended some things at the uh, at the districts and it uh, restricted access uh, to headquarters. Uh, basically, you, you went from three squads to two squads and you worked from uh, the day shift is six in the morning to six in the evening, and of course the night shift is six in the evening till six in the morning. Uh, wow! Basically, you just put out more officers on the street just in case. Uh, Baton Rouge has had a lot of uh, uh, protests and marches and rallies, but they've all been peaceful, which is what they should be. Uh, some things are kind of strange. They showed up at the uh, district attorney's office house yesterday and done a protest over it right in his front yard. I, I heard about do not agree with that. If you want to protest at City Hall or at the district court, go there, but, you know, not at a man's house. You know, so uh, for the most part, not for the most part, really, the city of Baton Rouge, we haven't had uh, incidents, but, you know, you're on high alert because back in 2016, uh, yeah. We had an incident where a guy came down from Kansas City and shot three police officers. Yeah. One yeah. of them I was a very, very good friend with. He, he worked at several of my details. So you're on guard because you, you're, for what 
no call is routine, but in reality, some things are routine that you're taking extra precautions when you yeah. when you go to things in in anticipation of is there going to be an ambush? That's why you have more officers and whereas on without this crisis, a single officer may uh, may take a call and go to a situation. Right now, you have multiple officers that are attending to uh, every call. Right. Just tell, to, to use the word calm down, but I guess kind of that's the word uh, uh, calm down, but we haven't had it as bad as uh, other places. We haven't had any looting. We haven't had any, uh, we've had protests. We haven't had any rioting. We had a few things on the first day, but other than that, uh, Baton Rouge, I believe, has done it correctly. Yeah, and uh, a lot of things have happened since 2016, uh, four years ago when Alton Sterling got killed. Um, we have a new uh, uh, a president of NAACP who's very active in the community, who's, who's on the front line, who, who's our fraternity brother, who works uh, uh, vigorously to make sure things are, 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 are or, or spread out uh, equally who, with, with, you know, he does a good job at that. He does a good job representing the people. And I think the leadership of Baton Rouge has uh, worked uh, hard, uh, from my opinion, from looking from the outside in to ensure that these things uh, didn't don't happen again. So uh, it was unfortunate in 2016, uh, uh, unfortunate that those officers lost their lives. However, um, um, you know, we have to, uh, yeah, y'all have to stay vigilant. And I do understand that. And I know your job is tough, and I know it's something that comes, as you said, without thanks. But it's something that uh, you are called to do, and uh, and thank God that you're doing it. And just hope to hope to God that everything stays peaceful and safe. Uh, no, my my job here in Baton Rouge is good. That year I spent in Iraq, that was tough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let me ask this question too. Uh, we'll start out with, uh, I'm gonna start out with this is to, to Kelly and uh, and George, and you all can, 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 can take this one. My next question, as a parent, how do you feel when your child leaves your house? Do you feel safe? Do you worry for them? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you feel that uh, that this country understands your child? Uh, Kelly or Joy, y'all take that question. I know y'all have kids and, and whatnot, and can you go with that one? I'll, I'll jump in there on that one real quick. Um, I have two boys who are 18 and 17, and it is absolutely terrifying and traumatizing for me when they leave my house. Um, living in these times has, has completely changed the way that I have to parent my kids. So um, the short answer to that is it's, it's terrifying and very traumatizing um, because they can be doing all the right things. They can do all the things that I've taught them, treat others as you want to be treated, um, be respectful to people in authority. They can be doing all the right things and still not come home. So. Um, it's terrifying for me as a, as a parent of African-American males and they want to go, you know, they want to be out with their friends. They want to hang out. And the mom in me wants to keep them home and that's not fair. Um, so 
it, it, it's traumatizing for me. It's it's very difficult to parent in these uh, times, but um, I'm I'm doing the best that I can. Kelly, can you share with, with, with if you don't mind? Uh, I hope if that story that we you you talked about the other day with your son and the bicycle. Sure. Share that with the uh, with the group real briefly, quick. Yeah, yeah, I'll share that. I don't mind at all. Um, so last summer, my son, my oldest son, who's now 18, he was 17 at the time. Um, me and my family, my husband, and my my two stepchildren, who are real, they're toddlers, they're small children. Um, that we were all outside enjoying a, a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And lo and behold, here comes my 17-year-old. And we all were being sarcastic when we saw him because he usually plays Fortnite all day and all night. So we were excited when we saw him come outside and he grabbed um, one of my, he, he grabbed my bike and he started to ride down the block. And so he came back very quickly and with this crazy look on his face and he was saying that the police are following me. And I said, what What do you mean? You just grabbed the bike and ran down the block on the bike. And he said, I know, but the police are following me. And so a few seconds after that, um, several police cars showed up uh, they completely disregarded me and my husband who were standing there and they began to accost my son. Um, didn't even really explain why. Uh, they just started to literally walk past me. Um, this this uh, white officer for the sheriff's department uh, just walked past me and began to like tell my son, to you're going with me. And I had to literally step in uh, my five foot four self and say, you know, excuse me, you know, what are you doing? And I don't often just throw it out there that I'm a member of law enforcement, but I had to literally pull out my badge to say, this is my son. I'm in law enforcement. What are you doing? You're in our home. You're at my home, the taxpayer, the homeowner. You haven't even begun to explain why you're accosting my son. So the moment I pulled out my badge, the entire um, situation changed and he began to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, he fit the description of uh, someone who had been stealing. Um, and, and I just thought that, you know, we saw him on a bike and we heard that this guy was on a bike and he fit the description. And uh, he then, the officer then, once I pulled out my badge, began to ask me how he could get a job on the federal level. And I was so disgusted, um, but I, I can't, I told you, Greg, I, I, I won't even let my mind right. wander and, and, and try to go into what may have happened had I not been there. Yeah. Um, that was, so traumatizing for my son. He refused to ride the bus after that. He wasn't driving yet. He refused to ride the bus after that. Um, we had to take him to school and pick him up from school from that moment on. He doesn't really ride or walk in our neighborhood anymore. Um, and my badge became and has on several occasions. Uh, it, it, it not only 
gives me the authority to protect and serve those in my community, I've had to use my badge to protect myself and my family. Right. So. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's tough. Um, you know, having kids and stepkids myself, it's, it's always that, uh, that worry that when we get that phone call, you know, I'm, you know, uh, we've been through so much in my family with getting phone calls and, um, dealing with certain things and, and, uh, uh homicides, uh, that we've, that I've experienced with, with my family, uh, members and, and whatnot. And it's tough when you get those, when, when you see those things happen, uh, when you see those things happen, it, it's tough. So, uh, uh, George, you got two twin daughters and a, and a young son that I've been I've known since they were uh, babies. What What are your thoughts about uh, what, what What do you tell Ma and Mia and, and DJ when when they go out? Uh, well, I know well, when I talk well, to DJ, I just tell them to always be safe every time he texts me. I said, be safe out there on the streets. He said, yes, sir, Miss Greg, and and uh, you know, it, it's just uh, it's, what What are your thoughts on that? What Kelly said. Well, fortunately, uh, and, thank, and thank God, all of them are college graduates. And at this point in life, uh, we always have discussions about uh, their surroundings and the things they may encompass, they, they, they may, uh, that may happen to them throughout life. Um, they, I, we, I've instilled in them from a young age that there are powers and principalities out there that don't have your best interests at heart. And you have to always be cognizant of your surroundings and make decisions that's going to protect not only you, but those that you care about. So it is a concern of mine, especially when my son stays in Houston. Uh, at any given point, I'm, I'm a, a, a flight away from him, but I'm not there with him all the time. So he has to be able to make this, those decisions on his own, um, especially in a mega city like, like Houston, to make sure he's safe. And my daughters, on the other hand, I mean, they're young ladies, so they especially have to make sure that they're aware of the surroundings, aware of what's going on, and not put themselves in, in a place where they be, may become victims uh, of something that's happening in society, but it is a, a definitely a daily concern. Yeah, um, it's tough. You know, uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's it's tough. You know, I, you know, um, uh, we got Captain Boy on the we got Captain Boy on the line, and I I try to talk. He he's he's there with us all the time, and I and what I do as an academician, um, got the threat crabs on the line too. I try to talk. I talk with my students. Uh, as much as I can, I talk to them. I, I give them real life talk, like they're my own children. Just say, "Hey, watch out, do this, blah blah blah." I sit, I sit in my office. I mean, sometimes I can't even get in my office, y'all. I, I got the people. I got, uh, I got people that are trying to, <laughs> students that are trying to uh, ask questions, get life advice, and and I've been talking to them since this pandemic, since the protests. I've been getting emails, calls, texts, whatever. What's going on? You know, what, what should I do here? Blah, blah, blah. So I, I understand. And it's tough. And I, and I talk to my own kids, my own son, I, my own stepson. Say, hey, man, blah, blah, blah. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, so it's a constant conversation that goes on. And it all floats back to what George said and what Kelly said and what everybody echoed on this panel. It's about communication. It's about communication because uh, there are some things going on right now that, uh, here that we need to constantly be in communication with our kids, with each other, you know, because uh, uh, it's, it's serious. And uh, we have to continue, we have to look at it like it's a life and death matter, in which it is. It's really life and death matter. Uh, my next question, uh, and I'm going to close it out with this. And I'll, 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 Captain Boy and I had a long, extensive conversation, and I believe he'd be a great person to start this question out with. 
hip holders out with something. What can you do? I'm talking to all of you all. What can you do? This is directly to you. What can you do that they will be held accountable? What is your what can your what can you do in that role? And I'll start with Captain Bowie at that. Okay, uh, great. Uh, Dr. Bosworth, uh, you were fading out. What was that question? Okay, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. What can you do as a law enforcement officer slash official to reassure the African-American community that law enforcement officials or officers break the law, that they will be held accountable? Okay, well, for myself, uh, I, I, I've well, i got to do this first. Uh, in answering that question or any other question, I can't leave God out of this whole whole process. Sure. The two greatest commandments. The first one, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one, love thy neighbor as thyself. My point is, as I go about my business, and, and Dr. Bosworth, you watch me out of the college, my motive is, first and foremost, I want those students to know I love and care about them. Yes, he does. Okay. Yeah, I want them to know. Now, I'm going to do my job. You know, Captain Bosworth, what I look like, my appearance. Uh, you know, I can do the job, whatever job comes up, but but they know my heart. They know I literally care about their well-being. And uh, so that's that's what my, my message always to those kids is first and foremost that I am a Christian. And, and that bracelet I wear often, what, what would Jesus do? WW, uh, what would Jesus do? J, JD. That's how I go about my business. And, and so bottom line is, when I try to reassure them, I tell them the truth. Unfortunately, just like in life, going all the way back to biblical days, we got bad people. But look to God to be your guide, and you yourself try to go about your business obeying him so that whatever you do in life, he's, he's going to be there to protect you. Uh, I leave because I've got to go see to my mom, Doc. But uh, okay. uh, Romans 8, 8, 28, uh, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him those who are called according to his purpose. Now, he said all things. He causes. So I try to put myself daily within his will. I have a li real, live relationship with him. I know a lot of people don't want to hear the God story, but that's who I am. I, I can't leave him out. And that's how I go about my life, and whether it be as an officer or just as a person, trying to be pleasing to God. Wonderful. Thank you, Captain Boy. I know you got to go, my brother. Go take care of your mom. And uh, we're about to close this thing. Got anybody else want to go ahead and add anything else to that? Uh, 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 Officer Dawson, I know we've had a conversation. I know what you, I know what you're talking about. Dr. Boswell? Yes, yeah. Dr. Boswell. I would, uh, I would say that in particular, how to tell people how to interact. Being aware of your surroundings is a necessary item. Uh, as well too. Um, just in these national crises and don't let what happen in a few incidents or some incidents, you know, one incident is too many, but if you look at the numbers, police officers aren't out there killing people. The most dangerous person to us right now until we do better is ourselves. Uh, since all this, since we've had the things happen in Georgia and Minnesota, look at the number of African American males, and that's primarily the victims, who've been victims of other African American males. We, as a people, 
we as a people have to rally with each other and do better by each other. And I think the surest thing to do that is social economical. Your heavily policed areas are your poor places in town. Why is that? Because that's where the crime is occurring. Police go to where the crime is occurring. And in that respect, when we do better by each other and look after our fellow man, and when African Americans start looking out for each other, we don't, there's enough of us here. We made this country, we built this country, we were born here. This is our country. This is our country. This is not President Trump's America. This is our America. And we have to look out for each other. And once we start looking out for each other and doing better and looking out for our communities and holding those that do things against us accountable, that's our fact. For as accountability in police officers, I'm accountable for every other police officer. If I turn my head to a bad police officer, just because he's a brother in blue, I'm at fault. And that's where the accountability comes. The accountability starts with me first. When I look in the mirror, and that, that's the way I look at it. If I turn my back, everything like those other four, the other three officers that were there, they're just as responsible for happening with uh, Brother Flood as the officer that held him down because they did nothing. That's where accountability starts and ends. Wow, that's that's powerful, there, uh, Brother Dotson. Um, and we we thank you. Uh, for that, we thank all of you for your service. I know uh, Kelly had to go off. We talked about that. She had a family obligation to deal with. Uh, she told me this was an awesome group. Uh, Captain Boy had to go take care of his mother. And I want to be respectful of your guys, you guys' time. Uh, and I do appreciate it. Uh, I will. Uh, I will. Harper. Yes, ma'am. How you doing? I, I know that we want to be respectful of time, but I want to bring you in on something that I think you'll enjoy. And I can talk to you about that a little bit later. Uh, Dr. Lester and I uh, have a great idea for what you're talking about, but I can we can talk to you about that later. I know you're ending your meeting, but this is something I think you're going to find magnificent and be able to uh, do some wonderful things. Wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Price. Anything to bring peace to the community, that's what we're all about. That's what yes. we're all about. That's the purpose of the McCrary Foundation. That's why I'm a part of this group. Yes. Uh, and does anybody have anything else to close us out with? I thank you all. And let me start, let me say this first and foremost. Um, I, I think I, I got my brother-in-law on the phone and my sister and I got everybody here, but I thank you all for your service. What you've done, it does not go appreciate, it does not go unappreciated. This is not a conversation to bash police officers because this is what you do. No, no, no. You know, that's this right. is a conversation, as, as, as Officer Dawson said, that's why I have him on this panel because uh, Detective Dawson, because he's a person who I know and I respect a great deal. I've known him for about six or seven years and he's always been a straight up stand up guy. That's why he's on this panel. He's absolutely right. Everybody has to be accountable. Amen. Right. <laughs> Accountability starts with oneself. And, uh, and I appreciate right. that. And, and that's why we uh that's why we're here to make things better. So uh I, I thank you guys. I look forward to next week. I'm gonna let you guys go enjoy your Saturday. Uh we well we we wrap this thing up in a in a nice little boat, an hour and four minutes. Uh, are you there, Lily? Yes, I am here, Dr. Bobber. <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs> that, that's Lily. She makes it all go, y'all. Lily makes it all go. Hey Lily. 
Hi. Lily. Um, I'll just say a few words about um, the McCreary Foundation. I think to close, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, that's the platform that this meeting is on, and we have a community peace project that's helping provide resources and support groups for people during the pandemic. And uh, one of our biggest, um, you know, goals that we're doing right now, and this is why Charity, the founder, can't be on the meeting, is getting these PPE supplies out in the mass level globally around the world to first responders. And I am happy to report that, you know, this has been an ongoing thing for us at the beginning of this pandemic. And these meetings emerged from the need for that. So I thank you all for showing up here today. It was amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lily. We do appreciate that. And as she said, um, go to the McCrary Foundation uh, website, mccrayfoundation.org. Look at the programs that they have there. You can donate. You can uh, see Zoom meetings. You can do what you can. You can look for various other things there, resources to maybe help us in this fight during this pandemic to bring awareness, to bring peace to our community. Because well, people are suffering out there, and our job in life is to make it better. It's, it's, it's in whatever capacity we can. So we thank you all for joining us today. We'll be back next week, uh, and I'll, I'll have a surprise topic for you. Uh, you got some of you guys will get the invite. Uh, most you know, you all would get the invite. Excuse me. Last topic. We're going to change gears a little bit. We're going to take it away from the protests a little bit. We're going to speak of more happier times and and more functionality for our community and things of that nature and the roles that we had. So it's going to be a little different next week. But uh, hope that's that's the plan. But but as you know, plans change, ladies and gentlemen. But that's the plan for next week. Thank you all. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. And I look forward to seeing you all. And guys, you, you were great. You are a, a wonderful group of panelists. You are a wonderful group of people. Thank God for you all. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. And we appreciate your service. And thank you for your service. Have a great and wonderful Saturday. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>